Welcome to No Challenges Remaining near the end of day six of the 2021 Australian Open. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by NCR's Spain and Sub-Saharan Africa correspondent, Tumani Carriol of The Guardian. Tumani, thanks for being here. Thanks for not forgetting my job title. I'm of course. I'm glad to be here. It's important, important bureaus for us that you oversee. So really do uh, appreciate your good work in those in those regions. Uh, I know later on tonight you're covering part of your Spain beat for us, the Rafael Nadal match against uh, Cam Norrie. Obviously, your Spain obligations are what counts for that match professionally. But <laughs> I just want to talk to you a bit about this tournament uh, as we wrap up the first week here, as we sort of a third round plus first week wrap up. So look, resetting a bit for the uh, for the second week of the tournament. What do you make of this of this Australian Open through uh, through six days? Uh, it's it's lo- I make it's lopsided, <laughs> but yeah. that's my my main takeaway. That on on one side of the on one day and one side of the draw, you have you know in the women's draw you have slam champions, in the men's draw you have you know a, a, a lot of drama and big matches with Kyrgios and team and all of that stuff, and then on the other side it's more quiet and you know, fewer top players. And so I, that's my first, you know, on this day, on this quiet day, yeah. that's the, the first thing that comes to mind. It's, I don't know, it's, it's it's strange to to be just here, honestly. It's strange to be at home, you know, back to, it feels like I'm back to my childhood days when I, I used to watch Australian Open, you know, get yeah. up at, at midnight and watch, change my entire day around for, for the tennis. This feels totally. weird to be here and actually to, to be working through it, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, it's, so, it's, it, yeah. I have that same thing. Like I used to, it used to be like such a treat for me to be able to be like an yeah. insomniac, nocturnal tennis fan and live for the Australian Open and kind of like peace and quiet. Either, I mean, well, actually, I usually most of, most of my real years of doing this were in college. Um, but even like then I would have like roommates who would be there either sometimes in the same room with me sitting like an inch from the TV watching through the night on like minimal volume, uh, the tennis or, um, or just in my own room when I had an apartment in college. But yeah, like it's interesting doing it as an adult, like professionally involved in it. It's a weird, yeah. it's a weird mix of things. And yeah, it's in the tournament took a big turn in terms of its mood, you know, today with the lockdown, the circuit breaker lockdown as the victoria premier called it you know the air i feel i felt like kind of went out of the tournament a bit i will say that the air was never fully in the tournament as much as i thought it was going to be initially the crowds were not for the most part very yeah. big or boisterous outside of um nick curios who we'll get to the nick curios matches were pretty much were pretty great and then i guess apparently the crowd was a big deal in this uh djokovic fritz match as well but uh yeah what what have you how do you make up just the day six thing? And because this is going to be the case for five days, so we're going to have an entire fourth round and all the quarterfinals we played with no crowd. How do you think that's going to affect this tournament? Are we just sort of used to it? Are we are we used to disappointment in this pandemic era? Or how does it how does it how does it going to feel? I mean, yes, yeah, so I'm I'm fully used to disappointment at this point. Um, but yeah, it's it's like clearly part of the appeal of the tournament, you know, for people watching at home for the players was the fact that there would be kind of a crowd and that, you know, it would be, you know, we, we we spent kind of two weeks with players and other people talking about how 
there's been a semi return to return to normalcy where you know they yeah. can you know that that people are around them they can go out in, into the city and they're not just stuck in their hotel room all the time and that you know that the 14 day quarantine may you know in some ways it, it was worth it to get out and to, to to be able to experience that so yeah it's it's yeah i i i think we, we were talking about this before you know just before we came came on and yeah like the the just the contrast as well he, hearing that the fact that the the final match one of the final matches was uh team Kyrios where the crowd was wild and and to go yeah. from that to just just nothing is the, the silence is eerie and yeah it's it's gonna be i mean the, what we know is that it tennis is still more than watchable and enjoyable and all of that stuff without a crowd but we also know that it makes a big difference to how, how you watch it yeah, I was t- had Andrew Eccles on the podcast a couple of days ago, and he was saying that he just felt like the Australian Open compared to the U.S. Open and the French Open hadn't really made up its mind on like what its mood was going to be or like what its vibe was yet. And I feel yeah. like this increases that having this sort of like intermission of crowd in the middle. We'll see what it's like when they come back. If they again, if they can come if, back yeah. in five days, we're, that's that's like best case scenario is crowd is back with the semifinals and final, but we don't know for sure. I know this is not really top of anyone's mind. Probably he was a, a listener, unless you work in the in the, in the tennis Australia accounting department. But I am really wondering how much money this tournament is losing. Can you imagine? They are getting like no fans. They're paying like full prize money. All this quarantine, all these flights, all this food, all this everything. Like, and they were banking on there being fans to justify that. Now they're not getting that for five crucial days, including a weekend, the middle weekend, which is usually a huge time for every Grand Slam. Yeah, like, whoa, like, it's me tens yeah. of millions of dollars. I would, I would imagine it's an uneducated yeah. guess, but like, it has to be, and especially also considering the warm up week event also is completely like barren of people. Yeah, yeah. it's, uh, I, I think, it, I think it's going to, if it, it's one of the factors, you know, in deciding whether or not this tournament was worth holding. If this tournament like bankrupts tennis Australia, like was it worth holding? Probably not. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean as well with the the quarantine and the issues there, I'm sure, you know, all of the different things that they had to do to satisfy the players cost even more money. And yeah, I, I mean if you know we we kind of saw a potential issue when there was the the mix up with, well I don't know if it was a mix up with Craig Tiley saying that the government would fund some of the quarantine and then you had you know. Victoria State politicians coming out and saying no, 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 you know. So I'm sure that will be an issue after this yeah. tournament. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the last night of freedom uh, that there was in tennis, which was two matches. They got pretty boisterous. Uh, Nick Kyrgios against Dominic Team. It was Kyrgios's third sort of boisterous match in John Kane Arena, as it's now called, formerly. Uh, Melbourne Arena, formerly High Sense Arena, formerly Vodafone Arena. Go ahead. Can I can I ask you, um, as an American, do you not hear John McCain Arena all the time? I, I've called it John Hold the Nick <laughs> Kane Arena. <laughs> like, yeah, I hear John McCain for sure, or just other things. It's it, it it just feels like it's missing a syllable somewhere that name. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Curios plays. It was not full, but relatively uh, great atmosphere. You know, Curios was pumping up the crowd from the from the. He broke in the first game was already getting the crowd like fired up before like even the first full changeover of the match. I thought the match was relatively predictable actually, and that Kyrgios came out fast and like rode a wave and that team did an impeccable job of managing it and 
of, of weathering the storm. And I think Kyrgios, I don't know if he talked about this or would admit this, but I feel like the physicality had to play an issue, uh, play a role. Like team's going to be better conditioned in the fourth and fifth set as it comes to that. And obviously Kyrgios hit like a attempted tweener at four all add in when he was serving in, in the fourth set. They kind of, once he, once he lost that game, that felt like complete ball game to me, which is kind of fitting ending for him. But uh, yeah, what did you make of the whole Curios experience and seeing it in a pandemic? I mean, talking to like, uh, also shout out past episodes, Kantam Wane was on the show uh, from The Keeping. He was saying that like being that atmosphere of the of the Curios versus Ugo Amber match round before made it feel like worth, you know, the two weeks of quarantine that like you get to be in that kind yeah. of stadium and that kind of atmosphere. And it did feel that way. And, and it's kind of sad that it's over, but it's nice that we... That's the best tennis atmosphere we've had in a year, easily. Yeah. And I, I'd say I think it affected both of them. You know, as you said, Kyrgios came out firing and, you know, just he was quite, you know, given how little he has played and the fact, yeah, the fact that he hasn't played much in 13 months. He, he was pretty much impeccable, I think, for those first two sets. And as he rode the wave of the crowd, I think team who has been playing in front of nobody that probably was a lot to adjust to, you know, suddenly yeah. you, you can't hear your thoughts at all anymore. Suddenly people are cheering against you and trying to get you off the court. And so, yeah, it, he almost reached the cliff edge in the third set with those two break points at the beginning of the set. And yeah, it was, it was impressive to see him come back from it. It was interesting again at the end when, well, well yeah, it was impressive to see him come back for it and, and how the match completely flipped, you know, after, after he saved those break points, he lost yeah. eight points, eight eight, uh, eight service points for the rest of the match. He it's wasn't one, close. It's one of those things in best of five where, like, you can have a thing in best of five or even best of three, but it's more pronounced in best of five where, like, the match is actually doesn't feel that up for grabs at any point. Because, like, maybe I thought maybe there was a chance that Kyrgios could have stolen the fourth set and it would have been yeah. a steal if he escaped that second. He was getting outplayed by that point. But other than that, it was like, oh, Kyrgios is in control. And then like, oh, oh no, the pendulum has swung all the way to team <laughs> yeah. real quick. And it just felt like it was sort of a, a flip getting switched rather, uh, uh, sorry, a switch getting flipped rather than actually them really meaningfully wrestling for control. Maybe again, yeah. maybe like that four all game in the in the fourth, they were doing it. But I actually thought the match was good also because I think it's a pretty good matchup for Kyrgios stylistically in that like he's he loves mixing up pace and short balls and stuff like that. And when he was able to do that early on, he got team pretty pretty uncomfortable and team wasn't I don't know how much of the match switch because team was adjusting well and there's part of it or how much Kyrgios stopped doing what he was doing with that kind of uh, creative all court play, you know, disruptive stuff as well. But uh yeah, I thought it was uh and then team and then Kyrgios also was not good at figuring out how to figure out the team, you know, butt on the wall uh return tactic as he was just getting back so many <laughs> serves. Yeah. I don't think in general team just doesn't like returning big servers. He's he said that a lot about Zverev as, as well. Like I don't think that's for him. So I d definitely agree. It's it's a good matchup for Curios uh, uh, and yeah, he took advantage of it. But then team just I think went to another level in terms of his serving, in terms of you know how he was stepping into the court, and that was just hard to keep up with for someone who hasn't been played or who who isn't exactly it would be tough in, in, in normal times and with the yeah. lack of matches and stuff, it was just a step too far, I think. And so, yeah, as, I, I agree. Like it became routine 
at, at a point it, it became quite relatively routine so yeah on the crowd i'm going to put in an audio clip here i talked to curious or asked curious curious came in today after his doubles win with tenacity kokanakis and asked him about what he thinks it would have been like and i was wondering this during the match too like would Nick have been able to function as a, as a competitor with how crowd driven he is with no crowd? Would it be something he enjoyed? Would he feel just like completely unmotivated or dead inside? And I thought his answer was actually pretty interesting. Okay. We'll go online. Ben with your question, please. Ben made the haircut, man. <laughs> ben, put it in a bun. I've tried that. It does not look, does not look great. Uh, Nick, my question is for you, I guess just like what, um, what do you think it would have been like for you playing singles matches at a Grand Slam at this Grand Slam, maybe especially with no crowd? I mean, you didn't you didn't play the U.S. Open, so you didn't really have that experience before. But you're just somebody who draws so so much off the crowd, and it seemed to be a huge part of your your obviously time out there. So, what would have would you've been able to function as the same sort of player with a completely empty stadium, or just um, part of you've been missing out there? Yeah, I mean, I feel like well, I played Courage a week and a half ago, and that was very tough to rally. You know, I was down a break and. It was just tough to find, for me personally, it was tough to just have chat with myself and look around and see no one watching and just trying to produce, you know, big tennis against a pretty good player. It wasn't easy. And he he definitely felt more comfortable, I feel, with no crowd. You know, he was just going about his business, kind of just, you know, putting his head down and putting me away. But it was tough. Like, it would have been tough for me, I think, playing with no crowd, especially next match, even though it was a fourth round quarterfinals, I think. For me personally, I think sports entertainment at the end of the day, and I want to be able to play in front of, you know, full crowds around the world. That's what I'm used to, and that's, you know, I, I, I was talking to Thanasi when I was out in the doubles squad. I was like, I don't know if I'm able to do a full schedule with doing this stuff, you know, like obviously the quarantine in itself, but just like play, going out on court and playing with no crowd, I don't know if that's the way I want to do it, me personally, and that's fine. I, I, it's not, that's not a shot at anyone who does want to go play and... and go get points and, and make money, that's fine. But for me, I'm not sure if that's option I'm going to go down. Yeah, and so in that clip, Nick says that it's the it's entertainment business for him, tennis. And I, to me, I was just reminded of that throughout this whole week with Nick. Like, Nick, the point of... I saw a bunch of people on Twitter being like, well, Nick's, you know, Nick's a flop. He's never made a slam semi and he's never, you know, been top 10 or whatever. But to me, that's so beside the point of, like, what he, what he provides and what he's trying to do and what his value is to the sport. And I think there is immense value in him you see how much he he animates uh this world of tennis and i think that's incredibly important especially like you said on these days when we have a few days on this schedule where it's not animated and for 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 him to bring that much life i think is is super key i agree speaking of uh night five of the tournament i admit i went to bed uh at around 7 a.m my time or so uh which was i thought a pretty good effort with uh Novak Djokovic up two sets to none on Taylor Fritz. I figured that match was pretty much booked, done, whatever. Djokovic progressing. And Djokovic had struggled a bit, or was not at his sharpest. And was allowed himself to get toyed around with, I should say, a bit in the second round against Francis Tiafo, which is a very, you know, close scoreline four-setter. Yeah. What happened in the in the Djokovic-Fritz match? It seems like it went really haywire pretty quickly for, for old Novak. Yeah. It did. So, so it, I like at one zero in the third set. Djokovic, at that point, Djokovic was cruising. You know, it was a, you know, as I was explaining to you, like it was a final day before lockdown, so the crowd were, you know, they were a bit rowdy, a bit, you know, they they spooed him a bit. They, you know, called called out cheering for Rafa. You know, it was <laughs> it was a lot, and and 
things seemed to be progressing towards a you know a routine Djokovic win and everyone would go home happy and then sudden then that one all in the third set Djokovic slipped he 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 hurt his ab- abdominal muscle area he didn't yeah we still don't have confirmation I watched he, the replay he, he he slipped on the Melbourne paint on the yeah, court. yeah 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 which I mean that's that's another issue sure. the white pe- people slipping over white paint all, all the time um yeah and, and so he he got his um treatment and he couldn't return at all like there were game there were like a couple of games where he just let serves fly past him and didn't mm. even try to and he couldn't rotate on his forehand either so that was like it was very clearly an issue immediately he lost the set um and then he went down a break in the fourth set and then suddenly and then it was 11:30 so the crowds had to leave and so you had the bizarre sight of the um, I forgot who was umpiring but the umpire t- t- maybe it was John Blom I can't remember but but um the umpire telling them to get out <laughs> to hmm. go and so yeah so and then the players had to actually so that to kind of incentivize their departure or whatever the, the players were pushed um away from the court like they, they went you know so so uh, Novak went to the locker room uh Fritz was just like pacing the corridor and the camera was on him the whole time yeah. and then the but the fans left like <laughs> I don't think that would have happened in New York but they all got the, the they got they left it within like 10 minutes so then after that rowdy atmosphere everything started again in silence and it's just the most bizarre one of the most bizarre things I've seen in sports just that complete contrast you know and so yeah and, and so Fritz won the fourth set and then by that point Djokovic was kind of you know I mean we, we've seen injured players kind of get that second wind whether it's yeah. with you know I don't know whether it took painkillers or a bit of adrenaline and yeah he, he basically he was he was also like just he could serve so he was serve botting he was you know serving huge first and second serves and then at 3-2 he just kind of he lay it all out on the ground strokes and broke and then won the match and roared into into silence as well which was also yeah, yeah loud loud noise so let's actually hear some clips let's first hear Djokovic roaring and then we'll hear Djokovic talking after the match and explaining what was going on because he did, and he does not sound happy or does not sound optimistic about his uh his health and his ability to go forward in this tournament his will well, uh, definitely one of the strangest uh, matches that I was ever part of. A lot of different things were happening. Obviously, crowd leaving the stadium midway through the match. Something I have not experienced before. Uh, everything was working fine for me. And then beginning of the third set, I made this quick move on the, on the return, going to the forehand, rotating there. And I just felt, I felt a tear. I felt something happen. And uh, went out for medical timeout when I was tested, evaluated. Um, I had huge pain. I took the highest dose of anti-inflammatories possibly, possible. And uh, it did kick in end of fourth, beginning of the fifth, uh, when I actually started to move and I could actually start to, to rally with him from back of the court. Until that moment, it was only serve for me and kind of hoping and praying that I'm going to get an easy ball after my serve so I could just just go for it. And that's what I've done. I honestly don't know how I won this match. Uh, I'm very proud, at the same time sad and worried because um, it's definitely something serious happening um, with um, 
with my injury and uh, yeah, I don't have much time to recover for the next match. Um, I'm definitely not training tomorrow. I'm coming here to evaluate furthermore with doctor and medical team and do some ultrasound and understand what's really going on so that the doctor and medical team can prescribe the best possible treatment and the only possible treatment that I could even have a slightest chance to go out in, in less than 48 hours. So we don't know. Obviously, Djokovic is going to turn around. Djokovic has done some big mid-tournament recoveries before. Um, I'm thinking of, well, not necessarily from injury. Like that's what she says. It's like a clear muscle tear. That's a pretty def defined injury. And we don't know if he's going to play his next match or anything. But let's talk about the draw for him. Um, if Djokovic goes out, who's such a presumptive favorite at the Australian Open, you know, what happens? Like, I think it because obviously the biggest winner, well, obviously the biggest winner is his next opponent, who's Ronich. And then Zverev is in that quarter, too. And Zverev is somebody who I hadn't given any chance of beating Djokovic, a healthy Djokovic. But then he suddenly, if he doesn't have to play Djokovic, then he could, you know, get to a semi, play team, make a final, maybe. I don't know. Um, team is there. Dimitrov is there. Felix is suddenly. I don't know if Felix gets past uh, Karat 7, then team. But, uh, or Dimitrov even, because Dimitrov has a good record against team. But, uh, yeah, what do you make of this? Of this, Let's imagine for a second that Djokovic is out of this tournament. What happens? Because Rafa was I supposed mean, to be the injured one, too. Yeah, he's injured as well. So uh, <laughs> things things aren't going well, are they? Um, yes, it's it's just an it seems like an open event, and yeah, we'll we'll hear more about Rafa um, after his match. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind an Aslan Karatsev uh, final, wouldn't you? <laughs> I uh, have not seen our our, our dear uh, lion from Witch and Wardrobe <laughs> days on court yet, but I uh, I'm I'm impressed by his score lines. They're pretty yeah. incredible. Beating yeah, beating he, he, Diego three three and three is yeah, that's he, impressive. He just he destroyed him really. He he was just cr crushing the ball as he does and yeah. In terms of that, I mean, I think it's you know it's not this is the stronger part of the draw you could say. So yeah, it's it's an opportunity, another opportunity for Zverev. It could be Ranić who's been playing. It feels like he's been playing well for a while and he just needs you know something to go for him and he's capable of an another run even more so than. Kind of, and all the other players in his generation who seem to be forgotten. Go on, what you said. I think Ronich could absolutely. This is okay. This is getting crazy, but I'm sleep deprived and whatever. It's like four win the title. Win the title, <laughs> right? We, Cordy and I, for years, and Tom Tebbett, I think, was one people to this too. But there was always this theory, right, that once the we call it the Ronich rule, once the big three stop winning as much, that Ronich would be there to win slams. Because it would just get easier to win slams without them there, and he'd be good enough, and there'd be no one else really challenging. And I don't know that I'd make Ronich a favorite against you know everyone who's left, but I'd give him a shot against everyone who's left. You know, in terms of he's he's destroyed Zverev in some past meetings. I know. Um, I imagine he can do okay against Team. I would think you're talking about Team not liking big servers. And then, you know, in the bottom half, of you, if uh, Clint Nadal or Tsitsipas is really good against or Medvedev, I think he could, you know, or Rublev. I, there's no one I think Ronich can't beat. If if Djokovic is out, and it's a big if, Djokovic could be fine for all we know. But I kind of, I'm not sure of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, then it gets interesting and that becomes like a really sort of interesting open slam. 
it's it's another U.S. Open basically. So kind of, but I hope, the, I, but I hope the play is better because that was the thing with the U.S. Open is that the yeah. play was mostly in the top half, with mo- mostly the Zverev matches in the top half were just dire. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that um, how that all shakes out. Uh, you you wanted to talk briefly about also about Felix. Um, Felix yeah. entered the tournament on a bit of disappointment, uh, losing his seventh ATP final, dropping to zero and seven, losing Dan Evans. Um, but then he, uh, had a big win in the third round, beating his compatriot, Dennis Shapovalov, uh, speaking of Canadian tennis and he gets Karatsev next an interesting match. What have you seen from Felix? What, what, what has impressed you about Felix or what has made it, what has made an impression? I mean, mainly just what you said, the fact that he, he had that, let's say disappointment. And I mean, you know, it, it always, always has to be kind of when we talk about how many finals he's lost, the fact that he's making the finals is a re- really great achievement for a 20-year-old. But he bounced back. I think he played the day after. And did he? Yeah, he... Well, he, he bounced back and did it extremely well. And he's, you know, he's made it through. He played a great match against Shapovalov and was kind of controlled. And, you know, he, he has a tendency to, as we've seen over the past year in particular, he when he's tense and... When things aren't going well, he kind of just overhits and overhits and eventually hits himself off the court. So to see kind of a such a controlled and you know contained performance against Shapovalov was impressive, and we'll see. I mean, Karatsev is going to be. I think he'll be tough because I mean to talk about Karatsev, he he's been one of the kind of breakouts since um, lockdown. He he came back and just kind of tore through. Um, the cha- challengers, first of all, winning just like a million matches on clay. And then he's just slowly been kind of trying to bring that form to hard courts. And, you know, the, in, in, in a way, this is a surprise, but I'm not actually that surprised by him kind of, you know, what we, what we've, what we know is that, you know, an example is Kanepi, who, who won a ton of ITF matches and then brought her form to, to this, even though she's an established player, wins are wins and, you know, there are plenty of players who are capable of of doing that. So, yeah, that's all. Yeah, that's good stuff. Speaking of Kanepi, we can transition to the women, I think, now. We talk about, when you talk about draw imbalance or day imbalance, it really is more about the women's draw, I think, than the men's because the bottom half of the women's draw features three incredible blockbuster fourth-round matches. Sabalenka versus Serena Williams, which is their first ever meeting. Muguruza versus Naomi Osaka, their first ever meeting, which is wild as well. Iga Shviantek against Simona Halep, uh, recent French Open champions is number two, and that was obviously a, a big match at the fourth round of the Australian Open. Sorry, for, fourth round of the French Open last year. And so interesting sort of... Uh, there's two matches who were both like really lopsided, so I don't know if I'm expecting necessarily a great match, but I'm intrigued to see what will happen in Shviantek-Halep. Uh, and then we have uh, Shea Suey, uh, who's you know wonderful, magical player who beat Andrescu. Uh, she gets Vondrosheva in the fourth round. And so that's like a lot of star power. And then I think just the seeds for how it shook out the seeds with the exception of number one, Ash Barty, who's had some question marks. I think Ash Barty's a, a enigma because we've seen so little of her. So we're not entirely sure what to make of her. And she's very low key in her presence and everything. But I think just kind of the, the seeds we got on the top half just have a lot less, for lack of a better term, sizzle to them. You know, like we had, we got Pliskova, Kennan, and Svitolina as the top eight seeds in that half of the draw. And we lost Kennan and Pliskova already. We also lost Azarenka, who was a big name in that half of the draw. It was number 12. 
Uh, Kanta also out. Benchich, who's not as big a sort of sizzle player, but she's also out too at number 11. And and Petra Martic, she was number 16, also out. So we lost a lot of the higher seeds for sure. So yeah, it's been, uh, it, it creates some interesting opportunities for some players who are trending upwards, some Americans, especially uh, Jen Brady. You have some finalists is in the fourth round and can, I think, can make semis or final. Uh, same for sure. P- Pagula. Uh, I'll be interested to see how she does against Fidelina in the fourth round because she's been killing folks. That match against Samantha Soser. I don't know if you watched it that match, <laughs> but it was that was like just such a that was a that was a clean clean mercy killing at points. It was just like <laughs> it was quick and just so lopsided on, on in front of an Aussie crowd. Zero and one. Yeah, she beat Mozenovic two and one today too. Uh, and then Shelby. We're recording this during Shelby Rogers' match, but Shelby Rogers took the first set over Annette Contivate. Um I don't know how that match is going to shake out, but uh, yeah, it's an interest. It's some opportunity, but such a different feel. It feels like kind of like a five hundred, and the other one feels like yeah. a, a Grand Slam quarters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, if I didn't give you any. I, mean, I took all the points from you there. Sorry, yeah, but, yeah. but but yeah, but, I'd say yeah. it's also sorry. I'd say it's also it feels like it's also form as well as kind of quality. You know, you have yeah. Sabalenka who 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 has come into this playing some of the best tennis of her career. I mean, Serena has started the year really well. Osaka's being Osaka and just, you know, she hasn't lost in, like, officially in 17 matches. So it's kind of those things combined and you get this really lopsided draw. So, yeah, I, I couldn't be more more intrigued and excited for the the um, the next half because, as, as you mentioned, like, it's not just the fact that they're quality players, but... The, the kind of, the you know, we've never seen Serena versus Sabalenka. You know, Serena's going to have to do... That, that that type of matchup is always interesting to me because Serena has to counterpunch. You know, like when she yeah. plays against Keys or someone, like she's not the... I don't think people understand that there are other players who hit harder than Serena, you know, right. like, with every shot, you know, consistently. So Serena's going to have to be more intelligent and, you know, <laughs> be the craftier player on court. And and so that would be interesting. I think those matches often bring out, you know, really good parts of Serena because I feel like yeah. her sort of like she knows she can't get by just on and she'll granted, she'll hit the ball hard still, I'm sure. But she knows that she can't just go out there and not that I think she, people lazily think it's what she does too often, but you know, she can sort of in a lot of matches sit back and just grip and rip and it's plenty good enough, right? Because yeah. she's that good at that part of her game. But you're right, against the Sabalenka, against the Madison Keys, against even like somebody back in the day, like a Yarmila Groth or somebody who's just like an absolute <laughs> ball basher, you know, or yeah. Lasicki, you know, like Serena can have to, uh, can have to, to be creative. And she has a pretty good record against all those players. I mean, um, she did lose to Slicky that one time is coming to mind, but you know, she's never lost the keys. Um, I like this matchup against Sabalenka. Actually, I think that'd be a good stylistic matchup for Serena, even if Sabalenka is like fifteen and one in her last sixteen matches or something crazy. Yeah. Um, but Sabalenka's got a is already answering for a lot by making it to the fourth round of a slam, which she hadn't done in a while. Um, and now it's a very tough fourth round against Serena. Uh, but Serena's been really good. I thought she was well. Serena was really good in her first two matches. The third match against Potapova, really ugly first set, um, yeah. and then cleaned it up. Uh, Osaka has been really good. Also, uh, the three and two against Shabur. I mean, Shabur was not playing bad at all. Not many players are going to beat Shabur three and two at this tournament. Yeah. No way. Yeah. And then the first round against Pavlyuchenko, a one and two also. Um, and then, yeah, Muguruza has been great too. Uh, she hasn't lost more than four games in any match in her first three rounds. So, yeah, that's yeah. a bummer. Like Muguruza, Osaka, Serena Sabalenka, and maybe a little bit less on hardcore, but still like Sviantek, Halep, those could all be quarters or semis. 
yeah, you'd feel like yeah, yeah. and it's absolutely. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. And then on, on you mentioned Osaka and Muguruza, that the fact that I think that's just insane that they they haven't played yet. You know, they're two recent world number ones, multiple Sun champions. They're like players who have been at, at, at some point considered like maybe the future face of the WTA, you know, you know, when, yeah. when Muguruza, when Muguruza reached number one, people are like, you know, she could be kind of the, the ambassador and that didn't happen. Yeah. But the fact that, the fact that they haven't played is, I mean, it speaks to <laughs> what we can, you know, there's, there are so many, there are many great players, but they need to play. You know, yeah, they need, need to play, play exactly. And it makes more sense with Serena and Sabalenka because Sabalenka is like queen of the tour and Serena is like queen yeah. of slams. That's yeah. more obvious they wouldn't have played. But yeah, the because the, I mean like, yeah, Osaka and Muguruza were like both on my like 10 best of the decade list in 2019 that I did. Like our 10 important, whatever, defining players of the decade. And so they haven't played even like a year on after that from that. Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty interesting. And that, that speaks more to Muguruza, I think, and, and how how down she's been during most yeah. of Osaka's time. But uh I agree with that, yeah. But yeah, but, it's yeah. uh it'll be interesting to see for sure and it should be a good tournament. Um anything else? Any any other thoughts on what it's been like covering this tournament or, or watching it or anything like that? I mean, it's mainly just a different type of tiring. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah like going back to, you know, what you're saying about what it reminds you of. For me, you know, getting getting up at midnight reminds me of just like going to school and like catching the last like Golovin match in the morning and then running <laughs> and then either getting get to school late, you know, or like going to school and then just leave, leaving class and going to the library to watch a tennis match there. So I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a strange time, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, we'll see how this goes with, the, without the crowd. Um, I, 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 it would be good if, if at least the final weekend had a crowd, had crowds, but, the, I mean, obviously, the most important thing is safety, and you know, we'll, we'll see how this unfolds with with the situation with the hotel quarantine in in Australia. Indeed, wishing yeah. it, wish, yeah, no, I agree. I this, I I was excited for the Australian Open to be sort of this like slice of of alternate universe, and for me, it never totally got lift off because of the crowds being way less than expected. I gotta say. Yeah. Um, that was deflating from the first week and then wasn't totally resurrected by the main draw outside of Kyrgios matches. But yeah, I, I hope that I hope everything goes well with the COVID front first and foremost. I hope there's no yeah. further stricter lockdowns even that we could, put, you know, put it. First of all, I hope nobody gets sick. That's first of all, yeah, yeah. besides, besides yeah. the Grand Slam. I'm still, I still think the postmortem of this tournament will be very interesting. Was this all yeah. worth it even if that, it finishes? Yeah. I'm intrigued by that conversation already. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, at this point, do you feel... What's your feeling on it? I, again, I'm not that much of a usually like money centric person, but I do want to know the numbers on the money. Like, I think if this tournament lost, you know, I don't know, some high eight digit number of yeah. money, which I think is entirely plausible. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like that was not worth it then. No, like just financially, like you could have they could have afforded to not have a Grand Slam as much as I enjoy there being a Grand Slam as much as I enjoy watching Shea Suey and Sarah Ronnie do their thing against each other. <laughs> you know, in while it's snowing here, like I could have lived without that too. Uh, you know, in the sort of bread and circuses model of the world, which is very clear during this, uh, especially in Australia, I think the circuses are, are the sports, and that's been that. But uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I yeah. I'm still just sort of like I'm still a little. I'm still <laughs> people who listen to the show know like I've been like ambivalent and kind of like 
uneasy about everything always and that hasn't changed so but i uh yeah i hope i hope it goes well i hope that i hope that the matches without the fans wind up being pretty good because like the u.s open women's late round matches were fantastic so i'm hopeful that the match matches at this uh like the like we said the the marquee matches in the fourth round can be just as good i hope and there's no reason they can't be but it's just i wish there was crowd there to appreciate something like a serena sabalenka because with like that kind of power especially like you need the oohs and the ahs you know you you do granted sabalenka makes lots of noise on her own so (laughs) you'll get plenty of soundtrack but uh but yeah yeah and 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 in regards to like whether it's worth it you know that one of the things that craig tiley the tournament director had been saying and also the the politicians was that if the australian open doesn't take place this year (laughs) <laughs> then it was moved to China. Or, oh my or, gosh! Or the I've talked about this before on the show, but again, I want to okay. say it is. So, I I appreciate you bursting out laughing while saying that because it is the dopiest nonsense that they keep peddling and like relatively unchallenged up until yeah. now in the Australian media. I feel like I made I did a bunch of like Australian pre TV like did like you know whatever stuff about after I did it anyway. I always made a real point of like being like, as an outsider, let me tell you, this makes no sense to any of us. Yeah, like yeah. the Australian Open is set, and it just seems like they've used this like foreign menace of like a big bad China is going to come and steal our tournament <laughs> as a as a excuse to get like blank check support from the government for all yeah. their funding for all their stadiums yeah. and everything. And I am yeah, we're calling malarkey on that in this uh, yeah. this Biden administration, as you would say, because yeah. it was just fascinating to see just the, the politicians just blindly parrot that line when it's just. You know, it just does. It doesn't make any sense, especially no. as China hasn't had any tournament last year. No. And the, the main, the main takeaway is that be careful of of putting a you know putting a tournament in China, or you'll you know oh bad things gosh. can happen. You know, no, so, none of it made any sense. And like there was never, and I, and I said this too, there was never for one second a thought that because they canceled Wimbledon, that Southwest London was losing Wimbledon. <laughs> Like yeah. never, never once. Like if anything's gonna happen on this pick on this front in tennis, like in terms of a Grand Slam change, which I don't think will happen, probably. But you never know; the world is, is fluid. I would imagine it would be adding a fifth Grand Slam, the way that like women's golf added a fifth major at some yeah. point. I don't like maybe the China Open could become a fifth Grand Slam in the fall. Like I could see that potentially happening, but I don't yeah. see. No, I don't see the Australian Open moving because it didn't hold itself one year because of a pandemic that also canceled almost everything else. That is, that is yeah. cuckoo. Yeah. Yep. On that note, thank you for that insight <laughs> from Spain and Sub-Saharan Africa to Monte Carriol. Anything you've written for The Guardian that you're especially uh, proud of that you want to point people towards so we can link or, or encourage from your, from your coverage? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've mainly just been writing match reports. You, you can you can read read my my features um, from before. Your team, I like your team interview. Your team interview was good. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah. I spoke to team. I also spoke to Andreescu, which was which was cool. So yeah. yeah, read those. Yeah, the team. Those were good stuff. All right. On that note, follow Tumani on Twitter at tumcariol on Twitter. He'll be linked in the that'll be linked in the bio as well. Follow the show at NCR underscore tennis. You can follow me, Ben Rothenberg, Courtney, 480s Twits, and WTA Insider. And you can support NCR if you're enjoying the daily or daily-ish shows we're doing during the Australian Open on our Patreon, patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. Uh, if you want to back us there, you can do so. Be like these cool people who are backed us at the Slam Champ level backer. We thank every episode. Liz Cannell, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Betty, Audrey Wellens, Sean Mulroy, Anna Melinder, Susanna W., 
Jean Simeon and Antonio Maycumber, and our GOAT backers, Mike, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J-O-D. Are you impressed by all those names, Tony? I, like, I, I, lo- I love... I just love that Pam, Pam Shriver drops in there. You yeah, know? Pam, Pam's a... That was, that's very yeah. cool to have her in that list. That's very cool absolutely, for us. Yeah. Uh, Mary Curl is in there, too. There's, you know, yeah, some, some names, yeah. some names. So we appreciate just, that. Just and, a, few le- a few legends sprinkled. Yeah, you know. know, you know. But all of our backers, everyone at every level is a legend who supports NCR. So if yep. you want to be a legend, patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. Thank you, Tamani. And enjoy the rest of tennis. And I uh, hope that you're... Yeah, sleep. Is there is there a since you're here and you you're doing this with us, you know, middle of your work day, whatever? Can you pick a, a JoJo track as our outro? That's the least I can do for you. Yes. I feel like. No.